Welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast, brought to you by nbautographs.com. That's N as in Namath, B as in Bolitnikoff, nbautographs.com. Celebrating pro and college football history, one legend at a time. Hi everybody, welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast. I'm Jackson Michael, author of the Game Before the Money, Voices of the Men Who Built the NFL, published by the University of Nebraska Press. Also writer and director of We Were the Oilers, the Love You Blue era. Both are available at thegamebeforethemoney.com. Today, going to start out by asking you a question, and that's what was your childhood dream? As children, many grown-ups inevitably asked us, what do you want to be when you grow up? My answer often varied between professional baseball player, professional football player, a rock star, or Luke Skywalker, Han Solo. You know, a lot of times we literally shoot for the moon with those answers uh, by saying astronaut. Most of us ended up trading those childhood dreams for quote-unquote career goals and ended up carving our place in the eight-to-five world. But some of us, we actually get to live out those childhood dreams. After all, team rosters need to be filled, Broadway needs a cast of real people, and Star Wars sequels seem to keep coming out year after year. Our guest today, Chad Hennings, actually got to live out multiple childhood dreams. Not only did he play pro football for the Dallas Cowboys and won three Super Bowls with the team, he also flew fighter jets for the U.S. Air Force. But Hennings says, at least at first... He wasn't any different than the rest of us being asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? I think that's, you know, growing up, that was every young man's dream was we always grew up playing sports in the backyard, whether that was football, baseball, basketball. For me, my favorite sport growing up was always football. And then every young man also played, played war in some form or fashion. My interest was more so in wanting to fly jets than be on the ground. I think that's why I was able to pursue two childhood dreams because I think every young guy grows up wanting to do those sorts of things. So how does a kid from a small town in Iowa wind up being a man competent to do a flyover on Super Bowl Sunday and actually record a couple of sacks during the game? My high school coach, Reese Morgan, had asked me my junior year what I wanted to do upon graduating from high school the following year, and I said I wanted to play Division One college football. He kind of asked where I wanted to attend. I said I was really intrigued and really was interested in attending the United States Air Force Academy. He took it upon himself then to drive out from my hometown in the east central part of the state of Iowa to Colorado Springs where the Air Force Academy is headquartered with some 16-millimeter highlight film of me, knocked on the coach's doors there and said, you really need to take a look at this kid. And that was really what sparked their coaches, the Air Force Academy coaches, interest in me to be recruited as an athlete. And 
thus leading to me getting a nomination and getting accepted into the Air Force Academy. For many, college is not only an academic experience, but a personal growth experience as well. This can be especially true for college athletes. Chad credits his NCAA football career for a variety of skills. There's so many life lessons that you learn in sports, particularly in football. Such lessons about tenacity, grit, determination, commitment, how to overcome adversity, how to work with others in a team, how to better yourself. How does your role, your skill set fit within the confines of the team? How to think tactically, strategically. All these different traits I learned from playing football, particularly at a collegiate level. And that carried through all the way through my experience of flying jets in the Air Force to now in my business world, my business life here in Dallas. As a senior, Hennings won the prestigious Outland Trophy awarded to the country's best interior offensive or defensive lineman. Often, Outland Trophy winners are drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. Some winners, such as Tommy Nobis and Russell Maryland, were the first overall selection in the NFL draft. Several, such as Jim Parker, Leroy Selman, and Bobby Bell, have been elected into the Pro Football Hall of Fame after illustrious NFL careers. A few, like Bruce Smith and Ron Yeri, accomplished both achievements. Chad, however, had a military commitment that made teams pause on draft day. My military commitment was a minimum of five years, but I chose to up it to eight years post-graduation from pilot training because I wanted to fly jets. It was a complete unknown to most teams. Most teams didn't know whether to waste a draft pick because, you know, are they going to wait till this kid's 31, 32 years old before he can get out of the service? You don't see that many rookies that are of that age. The other two finalists for the Outland Trophy were Michael Dean Perry of Clemson and Daniel Stubbs of Miami. Both were selected in the second round of the NFL draft. It took 11 rounds for Chad's name to be called by a team that had previous experience with military commitments. The Cowboys had a previous experience with it with Roger Staubach having secured his draft rights knowing that he was going to spend also a minimum of five years in the military before he could ever play. So I think that's what gave them a level of comfort to draft me to take that chance on the advent that I would ultimately be able to play. Originally, Chad's unit was to stay stationed in Europe. Plans, however, changed rapidly. I was assigned to an Air Force base in England called RAF Bentwaters Woodbridge. And our main emphasis of responsibility in case war to break out was more in a Central European scenario. When the Gulf War eventually kicked off, our area of responsibility was Europe, but we were the first Europe squadron of A-10s to get tasked to go fly out of Insulik, Turkey, and to help set up a no-fly zone and protect the Kurds from potential genocide of what Saddam Hussein had done to them a few years prior to this by dropping mustard gas on a couple Kurdish villages. So we never knew... We are going to be tasked to do this until basically the, the day before we uh, we were notified that we needed to be in there to start flying missions out of Turkey. So literally, we were notified on an evening, and within 24 hours, we were flying jets out of England over the Mediterranean, flying into Turkey, and on the following day would be our first mission flying into northern Iraq. So it happened that fast. Chad's initial flight nearly turned tragic as danger struck in the open skies. 
about six hours into the flight, I was over the Mediterranean south of the island of Crete, and I had a issue with my right engine, my number two engine, and I ended up having an emergency procedure. It ended up being a, a bad oil seal in the engine. I had to shut the engine down, and I had to divert into a naval air station called Suda Bay on the island of Crete to get the aircraft fixed. That was a day that I'll never forget and how I was able to work with my other wingmen as a team to go through the emergency checklist, to fly the aircraft, to communicate with air traffic control, and ultimately be totally flexible in our tactics to go to a base that we had no intention of ever stopping at. And just realizing that Murphy's Law is always in effect. What can go wrong typically does go wrong, but to be prepared and to think outside the box at times and follow your training. Chad completed 45 successful combat missions during active duty. He returned home to play football for the Dallas Cowboys in 1992. The Cowboys were an up-and-coming team coached by Jimmy Johnson, who had won a playoff game the previous season. Teammates such as Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, and Michael Irvin were about to become legendary NFL stars. When Chad arrived to the team, however, he was surprised at the topics of conversation. What I found interesting was that a lot of my teammates, coaches, etc., are more intrigued to hear about quote-unquote war stories than they were to talk about football or to talk about anything regarding football. And I think it emphasizes what my initial answer to your question about why I wanted to fly jets and play football because I think every young man grows up wanting to play war and you play sports. The Cowboys built on their previous success during Henning's first season. They won 13 games and finished first in the NFC East division. They routed the Philadelphia Eagles in the divisional playoffs, setting up a showdown in San Francisco against the 49ers for the NFC Championship. Several players on the 49ers had already won multiple Super Bowls and were led by future Hall of Fame quarterback Steve Young. The Cowboys, however, wouldn't be intimidated by 49er heritage in the murky conditions at Candlestick Park. The two teams were tied at 10 at halftime. Hennings and his teammates were set to break loose in the second half. I think it's just Coach Johnson and his approach to the game and the confidence that he instilled in, in us as players that we knew we could compete, that we were there for a reason, and that we just need to realize how good we really were. And that if we do what we just did and play the way that we were capable of playing, we're going to win the game. And I think the players, particularly the, the named starters and, you know, your quote-unquote stars of the team, really stepped up to pull away and to separate us from the 49ers to ultimately win the game. Because it was rainy. I mean, there were, the field conditions were terrible. But you overcome adversity, and that's life. The Cowboys won 30-20. to 20 putting the franchise in its first Super Bowl since the 1970s. They faced the AFC champion Buffalo Bills, who were in their third straight Super Bowl. Often Super Bowl experience can make the difference in the big game. Again, Hennings credits the team's preparation as a key to their success. That was, again, I think would be attributed to Coach Johnson. That was an all-business type uh, approach to the game. You know, you're playing in probably one of the greatest sporting events in the world outside of the world cup soccer and coach johnson intentionally coached us with the mentality that this is like any other game we're going to approach it in our preparation like any other game we're not going to be distracted by the hoopla 
by family, by friends that are at the game, by all the hype. We're here for one reason, that's to win a football game. We did middle drill. We did live up tackling. We were sequestered at times from our families, and we made sure that we were there for one reason and one reason only, and that's it's to win the Super Bowl. The Cowboys blasted the Bills 52-17 to in one of the most lopsided Super Bowls ever. It would be the third championship in Cowboys history and the first under owner Jerry Jones. The Cowboys' 1993 season got off to a rocky start, however. Jones found himself in a salary dispute with star running back Emmett Smith. Smith refused to play, stating that he deserved the highest salary among NFL running backs. Jones disagreed, and Smith missed the first two games of the season. The Cowboys lost both games, and Jones relented. Dallas then reversed course, reeling off seven straight wins before losing at Atlanta the week before Thanksgiving. That year's Thanksgiving game against the Miami Dolphins became famous for two reasons. One, the unusual snowfall that dusted the field throughout the game. And two, its very unusual ending. The Dolphins lined up to kick a game-winning field goal, but the Cowboys blocked it. The block should have made it Cowboys ball, and the game would have essentially been over. But Dallas defensive lineman Leon Lett forgot the rules. He darted toward the ball and bobbled it. That mistake allowed the Dolphins to recover the fumble and gave Miami a second chance at the game-winning field goal. Dolphins kicker Pete Stojanovic booted the ball through the icy goalpost for a Miami victory. The Dolphins jumped to 9-2 on the season, and the Cowboys tumbled to 7-4. What's more, the loss dropped the Cowboys behind the New York Giants in the divisional standings. Dallas had to find a way to respond to both their teammates' mistake and a season in jeopardy. You know, there was uh, upset individuals in the locker room, of course, but Leon is such a great talent and, and such a great football player, and it was just kind of reinforced that we all need to know the rules of the game, particularly the rules of the kicking game, and to not let that happen going forward. But I think it reinforced how easily, based on mental mistakes, a game can be won or a game can be lost. And it's not over until it's over. You know, we had that game. We won that game. But I think that sometimes it's what you make of losses and what you make of life that you have a choice. You're going to let it get you down or are you going to work harder and overcome the obstacle? And I think that really pulled us together ultimately as a team. The Dolphins wouldn't win another game that season. Conversely, the Cowboys wouldn't lose another game that season. Dallas won their Super Bowl rematch over the Buffalo Bills and became only the fifth franchise in NFL history to win back-to-back Super Bowls. After the win, however, the team faced adversity off the field. Struggles between team owner Jerry Jones and head coach Jimmy Johnson snapped to a breaking point. Long before reality television made its mark, fans watched a real-life soap opera play out in the media. In April, former Oklahoma University coach Barry Switzer was named head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. I was curious to find out how the team found out. Chad's answer surprised me. Uh, well, he found out about it just like everybody else in, in the Dallas community or in the sports sphere found out about it through the media. Uh, we had no idea that you know a lot of the angst and a lot of the disparity and philosophy and pride and ego, whatever you want to call it, was playing out between Jerry and Jimmy. 
it happened so fast that, you know, they're at the Super Bowl and that whole thing where the blow up happened, but, you know, they pulled us in as a team and, you know, afterwards and had the team meeting where they kind of shared it with us. But ultimately, we found out about it through the media. The Cowboys excelled in 1994 and Chad registered a career high seven sacks. As expected, the Cowboys lined up against the 49ers in the NFC Championship for the third straight season. After all, these were the Dallas Cowboys, right? Future Hall of Famers Aikman, Smith, Irvin, Charles Haley, Larry Allen, not to mention guys like Jay Novacek, Darren Woodson, Mark Stepnoski, and Moose Johnston, who seemed to make the Pro Bowl every year. As Hennings points out, though, the team needed to make key adjustments to finish 12-4 and and make the NFC Championship. I tell you, when you have a leadership style of a Jimmy Johnson and you went to, a I think, a polar opposite leadership style with a Barry Switzer, both capable coaches, both have won at all levels. The one was more of a micromanager and the other one being more of a laissez-faire, hands-off attitude regarding the players. It was a huge adjustment and there was a big, you know, leadership vacuum. And Troy Aikman has, you know, versed to say that Jimmy used to be, you know, was always the good cop, bad cop. Jimmy was always the bad cop. Uh, whether he's cutting a player to get people's attentions, very calculated in the things that he said. And that was gone now. When the players are used to having that type of leadership style, to now who's going to fill that vacuum? Barry being more hands-off, wanting to be more player-friendly. Somebody needed to be the bad guy at times for either discipline in the locker room or setting the tone and setting the culture and the atmosphere, both in the practice field, locker room, as well as on the field. Troy tried to step up and do that. Other players tried to step in and fill that vacuum, but it's just not the same. And so that's, I think, attributed as to why we lost in the NFC Championship that game to San Francisco, or else we could have won four in a row, in my opinion. But it was just, we had to get used to a new coaching style, even though the offense, defense, the scheme of X's and O's was the same. What was different was in kind of just that style of leadership. Although the Cowboys lost the NFC Championship to the eventual Super Bowl champion 49ers, they bounced back the next year to top the Pittsburgh Steelers in Super Bowl Thirty. Hennings had an exceptional game and sacked Neil O'Donnell, the Steelers' quarterback, twice. The Dallas defense forced O'Donnell into several mistakes, including three interceptions. Chad tells us there might be a thread between that game and the Cowboys-Steelers' Week 1 match of the previous season. We had played them the opening game of the season, and I think we had like nine sacks on him. (laughs) I think that attributed to Neil O'Donnell's little anxiety and the happy feet that he had in the game was because he knew he was going to get hit. So we were confident we were going to be able to get a pass rush on him and put pressure on him. Conditions were great. You know, we had played Arizona Cardinals at Sun Devil Stadium every year, so we were very familiar with the field. So a better advantage than what Pittsburgh had. And I think we had a better game plan. Although, I will say, in the fourth quarter, they were starting to come back who knows if we would have had to play another quarter it had been a little bit tighter but we were able to pull it out and ultimately win the game for three Super Bowls in four years. When the Cowboys started their Super Bowl run during the 1992 season free agency for most NFL players was still a year away. In previous eras teams like the early 90s Cowboys would have stayed intact much like the legendary Cowboys of the 1970s. Though good for individual players Free agency can devastate team dynasties. Although many key players such as Chad and Troy Aikman stayed in Dallas, not everyone did. Career-ending injuries to Charles Haley and Jay Novacek also hurt the team. The quicker-changing personnel, including with the coaching staff, was a new obstacle. 
the Cowboys were made by those draft picks early on due to free agency when the Herschel Walker trade in the early 90s. It can make you and it can break you. <laughs> you know, that's the free market. But, you know, we always tried to fill in with players. But the challenge with that is getting those new players to buy into the system and to buy into the culture and to buy into the identity of the team. You know, that's the challenge for any team. And it's, you know, that's why I admire New England. They lose players to free agency, plug players in, and don't seem to skip a beat. It takes strong leadership and emphasis on the system, believing in the system, buying into the system. And I think that was difficult for us because we had so many coaching changes. You know, for my career, I was drafted by Tom Landry, played for Jimmy, played for Barry, played for Chan Gailey, played for Dave Campo. I've had basically four or five head coaches in a nine-year career. And when you look at that instability at the top, it's a wonder that we were able to succeed. It's a tribute to the resiliency of the players and the team, because when you have that many changes at the top, the deck is stacked against you. Speaking with Chad provided a new perspective on the adversity coaching changes and free agency can create. I thought of the Chargers firing Marty Schottenheimer after a 14-2 season. Two years later, they were a lackluster 8-8. Eight and eight. Then I thought about the business world. Many of us have had employers with high turnover. It can be especially difficult when a business often changes management. Those of us who have been in those situations can relate to some of the challenges that the Dallas Cowboys faced. Although I always counted them as one of the greatest teams in my lifetime, those thoughts made me admire and respect the early to mid-90s Cowboys even more. Like Chad alluded to, perhaps what might best define the Cowboys that won three out of four Super Bowls was the resiliency of the players. The team proved tremendous heart and unparalleled resolve, no matter what happened on the field, as in the Miami game on Thanksgiving, or off the field, as in adjusting to a completely different leadership style. Like all players, Chad had to adjust to a new lifestyle after football. An injury made his decision quite simple. My decision to retire was made very easily for me. I ended up having to have a cervical fusion in my neck or my between my third and fourth cervical vertebrae was fused. And for me, quality of life beyond. I had a nine-year career. I was 35, almost 36 years old. You know, I've won three Super Bowls. You know, what else was there for me to do? The decision to retire was made easy for me. After that, I was able to, wanted to use my brain over my bronze, so I've been in business doing a variety of different things. I've, I've written three books. I do a lot of public speaking. I have a commercial real estate company called Rubicon Representation, and then I also sit on different boards of advisors working with companies, just consulting with them in a variety of different ways. I was fortunate to attend one of Chad's presentations recently. He gave a motivating speech about character and the important ingredients to developing it. His successful military and football careers now opened doors for him to inspire others. I thought back to how Chad's high school coach drove all the way from Iowa to Colorado Springs to open a door for Chad's dreams to come true. Often, the success and freedoms we ourselves enjoy are the result of others helping us get there. For Hennings, those kinds of actions are permanently sown into his faith and his lifestyle. You know, as a Christian, it's always God's plan, but it, it takes us to help execute that at times. And that's why I always like to tell coaches and I like to tell other individuals that when you help somebody, you never know what's going to transpose years down the road, how that can impact that person's life. And that's where it's important for us to give back, to serve others, to help others in some way because it's a synergistic effect and it could be exponential how it could impact that person's life and and ultimately it impacts ours. 
You can hire Chad Hennings for speaking engagements and order his books at chadhennings.com. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Game Before the Money podcast, brought to you by nbautographs.com. That's N as in Namath, B as in Bolitnikoff, nbautographs.com. For all your sports and entertainment autograph needs. Please remember to share and subscribe to our podcast. Check out our website at gamebeforethemoney.com.